Here's what we're going to do today. We're going to open up God's word. And that's what we do every day. I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward. They have Bibles for you. And uh, while, they're, while they're passing out Bibles, and again, if you need one, just go ahead and raise your hand. We are turning to Luke chapter 15 today. What I want to do uh, in, in, in kind of the introductory part of, of this message is remind you that we're, we're a people who studies the scriptures together. So each, each week when we gather, we look deeply into a text and we ask, our, we ask together some questions. We say, what is, what is the author, in this case, Luke, what is Luke trying to say here in this passage? And how is that story built over... Um, over these, these chapters before where we're at now, when we're asking questions like what is happening in the time and place and the people that are, um, that are in these stories and, and what is Luke's purpose in placing them in this order and what is God, and this is maybe the best question, what is God saying in, in this text? And so that, um, that endeavor is called hermeneutics. And so it's, it's the way that we study scripture. And there's different tools for how to do that well. Uh, as pastors, for those of us who teach and preach, we, we, we use some of these tools to help learn what is, what, is, what is the Bible actually saying to us. And I want to tell you, and this is for free, I give you one of the best tools when studying the scriptures. It's, it's this, look for repetition, okay? Look for words that are repeated in a text. Look for phrases that are repeated in a text of scripture. Because when you do that, you're going, that's, that's the way that the author would drive home the point or the heart of what they're trying to say. Now, this particular repetition is, is something you'll see a lot in Hebrew literature, and in particular, you'll see it in, the, in Jewish teachers as they would teach through stories and they would tell stories. They would use repetition to help drive home a point. Now, here's where I'm going with this. Jesus Christ is the central figure of the Gospel of Luke, and I would argue the whole Bible. And Jesus is the Messiah of Israel, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. We believe that he's risen from the dead. He sits at the right hand of God and, and rules, and he will return one day in power. And, and he was a Jewish teacher. And that was what he did. That was his vocation for years of his life. He was a teacher. And so Jesus, who is all those things, and even more, is also a, a teacher who would use some of these methods of, of, of teaching and uh, the methods of the day and of his Jewish culture. He'd, he'd, he'd use all of that background to speak to the people in his time and place. Are you with me? Okay. Nobody said yes. Okay. I know you meant to say yes. So what I'm, what I, what I'm doing for, for that, the purpose of that is we're going to read a text of scripture together and I want you to actively listen and look for repetition because here, I promise you, this passage of scripture is not hard or complex to figure out. My nine-year-old figured it out. But if you look for the repetition, you're going to see something that's really powerful. Maybe it's going to be so good that I won't need to preach this sermon, but I will anyways. And let's read together. Are you with me? Luke 15, starting in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. 
And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or, what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is God's word. Did you see it? Ten verses that we just read, and in, in, in five different times in, in, in those verses, we saw the word joy or rejoice. That is a clue that that is important. And it's a passage, you know, I tried to read it in a way. I tried to give you a hint when I was reading it. That the heart of what's going on here is joy and rejoicing. So, so that's what we're going to get after today. We're going to look to the joy of Jesus this morning. Now, we've been looking at Jesus for over a year now, or maybe it's been two. I lost, you know, I lost track of time. But we've been, we've been looking at Jesus for a while in the Gospel of Luke. And as we've considered him and as we've looked to him and learned from him, over time, we, we, we drop this bank of, 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 of attributes of what Jesus is like. Words that we could use to describe him. If I asked you to shout out words this morning, and I'm not going to, but you might say things like, Jesus was loving, or Jesus was challenging, Jesus was engaging, Jesus was empathetic, he was patient, he was kind, he was powerful, but he was gentle. We've seen all these things in his teachings and his miracles and the way that he interacted with people. All the, we see all these things. But how many of you, if I said, put Jesus in a word, how many of you would say glad, joyful, or even happy? Because I think that's actually what he's showing us today. He's showing us the great joy that motivated his life. Here's something I believe. This is, we'll call this our big idea for the day. Jesus is the most joyful person who ever lived. And his mission is that his joy will become yours. And that's what we'll see today. In Jesus, we see joy in, in three different ways. We see redefined joy. We see communal joy. And we see eternal joy. We're going to look at that today. But what happens before we get into this kind of joy, our passage, what it does is it, what Luke does is he sets up a contrast in the opening statements of, 
of, of, this, of this text. And it's a contrast of attitudes, attitudes that relate to what Jesus is doing in his life and ministry. So here's what's happening, and we've seen this before. People are drawn to Jesus. People are attracted to him. People, they, 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 they're like, I need to be near that guy. And in particular, it's the worst of society that is drawn to Jesus. Here we see the tax collectors are drawn to him. Tax collectors are not, don't think IRS agents, think like extortioners. People whose, whose, whose job, who were hired by Rome to place heavy tax on the Jewish people. So these are Jewish people taxing Jewish people um, and then keeping extra for themselves. So these were traitors. These were people that were hated in society. So them and just sinners in general are drawn to Jesus. They want to be around him. And Jesus is apparently totally good with this. But then there's also the scribes and the Pharisee. Now, these are the religious leaders of the day. And we've been introduced to them all over the text of Luke. And they are almost never approving of anything that Jesus does. And so they're there. And the tax collectors and the sinners are there. And the religious leaders, their, their disdain for Jesus is growing. And we lose this a little bit in our translation of the passage. But they, they, when, when they say um, Jesus is accepting sinners, they, they say this one, like that guy, that guy over there. He receives sinners. He, not, not only does he invite them to the table, but he's their host. And there's this deep disdain about that. And Jesus knows this. They're grumbling. They're scoffing. And so Jesus does what he often does is he tells a story. He's a great storyteller. And so what he does here, actually, he tells a trio of stories. He, he, he tells three stories. We're going to look at two of them today. Next week, we'll look at, at the last one. And he starts by telling a story. And he says, you know, there was a shepherd and this shepherd had a hundred sheep. Now, this would be a large flock. This is, there's a lot of money and time and um, just investment in that. This is, a, this is a big flock of sheep. And the shepherd has lost one of them, we're told. Now, in our day and age, we're like, you, you know, win some, you lose some, right? And we're, and, but, but the shepherd is not like that. That's not his perspective. His perspective is, I need to leave and go on a quest to find my lost sheep. And again, in our minds, we're like, well, what about the 99? Are they going to be safe? And, and we totally miss the point in the story because we're asking that because th this wouldn't have been the question that the people listening to Jesus would have been asking. They would have been like, well, yeah, of course you go after the 99. And maybe you have your neighbor watching over the sheep for you. But, but really the focus is on the sheep that has been lost. And so Jesus goes out and he's looking for the lost. One commenter read this passage and said, the religious leaders look down on sinners, but Jesus goes out looking for sinners. And it becomes clear early on in our text that Jesus, he's not just talking about sheep, he's talking about people. A sheep would be the thing that mattered the most to a shepherd, but the thing that matters the most to Jesus is people. And so Jesus is on this mission. And it's interesting. Jesus refers to himself as a shepherd. And this is very intentional. I'm going to ask you to let me do some Bible nerd stuff for a second. Is that okay? I will do it anyway. So this is happening. But just, just go there with me. You're going to love this, I promise. Okay, so when Jesus tells this story, 
he, he says, there was once a shepherd. And then even the way he tells the story, he's drawing the Pharisees and the scribes, which are the people that knew their Bibles the best, He's drawing them back to a passage of scripture in Ezekiel 34. You do not need to turn there. I will just, um, I'll read it for you. But in Ezekiel 34, God, through the prophet Ezekiel, is prophesying against the religious leaders of that day. Now, this is many years before Jesus has come. Uh, but God is speaking against the religious leaders in, um, in Israel. And, and he is prophesying against them through his prophet Ezekiel, and Ezekiel refers to the religious leaders as shepherds. And in this text, what Ezekiel is doing is he's saying, the leaders in our, in our nation have failed to point people to Yahweh. They have failed to love well. They have failed on their mission, which was to amplify the greatness of God. And so this is what it says in Ezekiel 34. I just want to read this to you now. I want you to read this considering the parable that we just read. Listen to this. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. He goes on in verse 11 to say, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. Finally, verse 15, he says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. So Jesus brings that imagery to the mind of these religious leaders. And he's saying, I'm gonna show you what a real shepherd is like the heart of a shepherd. It's to leave the 99 to find the one because of how precious they are. And so this story, these, these stories that we're entering into, that Jesus is bringing us into, within these stories, we're, we're seeing what motivates him. We're seeing what matters most to Jesus. And then we're seeing him seeking and, and finding people. And what is he doing because of it? He rejoices. Jesus is going to define joy for us. And here's what he does. So I want to talk about the kind of joy that Jesus is talking about here. Now, the word used for rejoicing that describes the shepherd, if you remember, the shepherd, he finds the sheep, he hoists it on his shoulders, he walks home, and it describes the shepherd as one who is rejoicing. That word is a very profound word in the Greek language. It's actually bigger than just excitement. Like when we think of rejoicing, we think of excitement. We think of a momentary um, emotional feeling of, of great joy. And it is that. The kind of joy that he's talking about here is emotional excitement. It's, it's smiles and laughter. Think all those things, but it's deeper than that. The word that's used here is a combination of two Greek words for gladness 
and grace. So the word literally means to be glad for grace or to delight in grace. That's the way that Jesus describes the shepherd who's gone out to find a sheep that's lost. And we know that he's talking about people. He's saying, when I go out and find a person who's been lost, I am glad for grace. I delight in God's grace when that happens. Where, what is Jesus' joy? It's when the spiritually blind begin to see. It's when the spiritually lame begin to walk and to run. It's when the spiritually dead come alive. Jesus is telling us, that's my joy. That's the kind of joy that I'm talking about, that I delight in. Amazing. Okay, so months ago, a particularly famous hip-hop artist announced that he had become a Christian. Kanye West. Are we? Okay. Kanye West, in late October, dropped an album called Jesus is King. And everyone was talking about this album. The media picked up on it. And so suddenly you have a very, a very famous person, like a household name, and he's talking about Jesus on TMZ and on late night television. Are you with me? Okay, you read? Okay, okay. Okay. This happened. Okay, news to you. Okay, so... So this is all over the news. People are talking about it. You know, many, many Christian leaders are beginning to write about it because, um, because there's this very famous person who's now professing the name of Jesus, and uh, he's releasing albums, and he's, he's speaking to people, and he's leading worship services. And, and Christian leaders are thinking, and I think wisely, they're wondering, is, is, this, is this the best way forward that, um, that, a, that a brand new Christian be in the spotlight like this? And that be leading services. And, and I, I, I want to say, many, many great things about that were written and, and they're valid and, and really important. And, and everybody was talking about it. And so on my Wednesday morning group, uh, my guys group that I meet with on Wednesday morning, like one day, that's like all we talked about. What's going on with Kanye? Okay. This, this, this story I'm about to tell you really happened. I'm in the kitchen of my house. And my oldest son, Judah, walks in from school one day, and he's very excited. And I can always tell when Judah's excited, um, he, you, you can just tell. And what he does is he smi- he's smiling at me, and he always raises his eyebrows when he's smiling. He's like, Dad. And like, if you're listening to the podcast right now, you don't get this, but he's like, Dad. And he's like, <laughs> like, what? And he goes, did you hear him? Like, I don't know. I don't know. What? He goes, Kanye. That's all he said. He's like, Kanye. I said, Kanye, what? I'm, like, I'm thinking, like, did he read the article that's from the magazine? And he goes, Dad, Kanye is a Christian. God saved him. And, like, I just, I sat there and I was like, oh, yeah, that, that happened. And, and, and my son, Judy, he, he doesn't know how to be cynical. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't know how to do it yet. So, so he doesn't know how to be like, I will wait and see. The, none of those things cross his mind. He's, he's like, this is the best. He loves hip-hop. If your child loves hip-hop, you have to curate everything they listen to all the time. Okay, so he, his voice is escalating in the kitchen. And I'm not kidding you, the high point of the conversation, he goes, Alexa, shuffle songs by Kanye West. And I'm like, no, Alexa, stop. Stop, don't do that. Nothing older than 2019, or just nothing. Just don't, okay. This actually happened. 
Okay, so I want you to just forget about famous Christians for a second or what you think about that story. And I just want to ask you this to consider this morning. When you hear about the grace of God in a person's life, does it ever make your heart skip a beat? Does it ever, do you ever feel that sort of like, that childlike just joy? Oh my gosh, he did it again. And I, and I think that's what Jesus wants to bring us into, that sense of wonder. Because here's the deal, Jesus is the most joyful person ever. It's literally spilling out of his life and he just wants more people to get it. He's like, this is my joy and it can be your joy. And yes, Jesus is critiquing the attitude of these religious leaders in, in a way that was, it's, it's offensive, but I, but I almost wonder if he's smiling and he's like, come on, don't you see it? Don't you see my joy at work? See, for Jesus, it's, it's, he redefines joy. He places it in this particular kind of joy. He says it's connected to grace. It's connected to this overwhelming emotion when you see God at work and you say, yes, that. And then it's shared. So I want to talk about communal joy. The joy of Jesus needs to be shared. Now this, what I'm going to say is, I believe is true about joy in general. Joy is incomplete until it's expressed, until it's shared in. So here, the society that Jesus is speaking into is a communal society. So, um, so you shared deeply in your victories and in your defeats. Uh, you, this isn't like, like a, a prayer emojis being sent out. This is like when something terrible happens, you're there with the people in your community. When something great happens, you're there with the people in your community. So even something like death, if, if a death happened in the community, it would be common to, to just pause on life and, and go and sit with the family that's grieving and just be with them for a week. And if there was a wedding in the community, it would be very common for basically the town or village to shut down so that there could just be this, you know, four or five day party. So this is a communal society. And so the shepherd is coming back with the sheep and the first thing he does, and he's not asking, he's just saying, come rejoice with me. He says it to his family, which would include more than just his got a nuclear family. It would include his aunts and uncles and, and grandparents and any family that lived nearby or lived together with them and his neighbors, all of them. He says, it's time to come over. The thing that was so important to me was lost, but I found it. And we have to share in that joy together. Now, I believe that this is the point of this passage because, remember, repetition is very important. The exact same sequence happens in the next story, doesn't it? It's a woman. And we don't know much about her, but, but, but she has lost a coin. So she has 10 coins and she lost one of them. And again, it's not you win some, you lose some. This, this coin would have been worth about a day's wage. And so, you know, that's a lot of money for anybody, right? And so it, the least you could do is pull up the cushions on the couch, right? Or sweep under the, you know, under the couch or under the beds and, and, and look desperately 
for this coin, and she does. She's looking for it. She's searching. It says she's searching diligently for it, and she finds it. Now, this is, this is an interesting thing. She finds it. This is, would be like kind of a private thing. This happens in her house. It's not like out in the open, like the shepherd looking for the sheep. This happens in her house, and I imagine her bursting open the doors and saying to anybody who would listen, neighbors, friends, you need to come over. We're throwing a party right now. I lost this coin, but then I found it. They're like, I didn't know there was anything going wrong. She's like, it happened. Just come on over. Let's throw a party. And Jesus is very comfortable with you thinking of him that way. Like that woman who's diligently searching for a coin or the shepherd who's desperately wandering the desert for his sheep. Jesus is like, That's, I'm like that. Because joy has motivated and moved me so much to do that. And I want to share that with you. Joy is incomplete until it's expressed or shared. Now, I have always loved the band U2, like since I was 12. Uh, I grew up in a very Christian home, and uh, secular music was off limits, except for U2. Okay, like if you're... If you're a Christian kid in the 90s, you get this. It's like everything else is bad, but those guys are doing something good. Okay, so, so I loved you 2 um, since I was a kid. Um, even to this day, I'll be driving in my car, and I'll, sometimes I listen to the radio because I, I, sometimes I like it when somebody else says, here's what you should listen to. You know? So I'm listening to the radio, and even to this day, there's this, okay, there's this synth organ pad that comes on at the very beginning of the Joshua Tree album. You know what I'm talking about? And you don't? Okay, this is educational for you because this, this is the high point of music. Okay, and so it, it comes on and it's the, it's the beginning, it's the intro to the album, but it's really the intro also to the song of, um, that is called Where the Streets Have No Names. And that is the greatest song of all time and the soundtrack of my life. And so I'm driving down the street and I hear that synth come on and like lump in my throat to this day. And it's like, how loud does this thing get? You know, the windows go rolled up and I'm like, it can't get loud enough. And then the synth comes in and then the edge comes in and it's like the greatest guitar part of all time. And if you know, you know. And then right after that, um, the bass comes in and like, it's right before the drums, but it's staggered a little bit and it's perfect. And then Bono comes in and he's like, I wanna run. And then it's, it's so good. Okay, May, it's May of 2017. And I'm at CenturyLink Field in Seattle. And this is the 30, 30 year anniversary of the Joshua Tree album coming out. And um, I'm, I'm in the stadium. This is a real moment. And, and the lights go out. And like that sound comes on. And everybody knows. There's 57,000 people. And everybody knows. This is, this is happening right now in our midst. And, and, the, and the synth comes on. And the edge, I can't even see him because it's dark. But Edge is playing the riff. And Adam comes in on the bass right before Larry comes in on the drums. And there's a guy behind the stage playing the synth. But he's not in the band really. And then... And then <laughs> 57,000 people start like jumping and Bono starts singing and his voice still sounds amazing. And I, I literally died. I was so, I, I, 
I laughed out loud. Have you ever like been that happy? It's like nobody said anything funny, but I'm, I'm laughing out loud. And, okay, calm down, okay. And then I was like, I was in that moment just now. With, okay, and, and there's something about that song in my car and it's so good, but then like me and Anne-Marie and Bono and Edge and Adam and Larry, 57,000 people together, that's elevated, you know what I mean? That's escalated joy when it's shared. You with me? So two weeks ago, I'm on this stage up here and I'm leading worship and I, and I look to my left and it's my friend Brandon Sauce. I've known him for like 10 years. I, I remember his wedding and my friend Mike is, is back there and, uh, and I see him even, is he here today? Okay, okay. And then uh, Mike's back there and he, he can play any instrument you've ever heard of and he's playing the keyboards and my friend Colin, we've known each other since college. He's playing the drums, he's slaying the drums and my friend Meg is singing and I feel like I was at her high school graduation yesterday but like now she's on our staff team and she's leading young worship leaders and then my friend Brian is back on the bass and I'm not really comfortable using the word brother to talk about my Christian friends, but Brian is like my brother, and we're just sharing the joy of Jesus together as a community. And then I look out and I see you guys, and you're sharing in it as well. And we're and we're together. What what we're doing is we're being glad for the grace of God. And I'm like, it doesn't get any better than this moment. And Jesus is telling us that his grace, his love, his joy is ours. And it's ours to share together. Amen. Amen. So joy is communal. We share in it. And the final thing I want to say to you today is that joy is Christian joy. The joy of Jesus is eternal. It never ever ends. And both of these parables that we read, they end in the exact same way. Remember, we're looking for repetition. So just, so just go there with me. We're back in Luke 15. This is the end of the story of, of the lost sheep. Jesus says this in verse 7. He says, just so, this is after he's rejoicing, he's telling everyone to rejoice with him. He says, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, scroll down or look down to verse 10. This is, how, this is how the story of the lost coin ends. Jesus says, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Isn't that interesting? It's a different word for joy than, slightly different than the other words um, the word that we looked at about being glad for grace, it sort of just means like party. There's a party. There's a celebration in heaven before the angels of God when one sinner repents. Now, I can't help but think of, of, uh, of World Cup soccer. So you watch the World Cup, maybe? Okay. And uh, World Cups, the World Cup is played in a country. But most of the matches are from... From, from teams that are from different countries, okay? And so 
so when a goal is scored, there's still this massive like elation of that in the stadium. But, but what will happen when you're watching World Cup soccer is when, when a goal is scored, they'll cut to a live feed of like the streets of Madrid where hundreds of thousands of people are watching on a big screen and a goal is scored and they cut to that and they're like, ah, you know, and then, or they'll cut to Rome, you know, because the Italians are playing and, and there's, the goal is scored and it's, they're not there, but they're on the streets of Rome and they're freaking out, celebrating. And I'm like, I kind of, it's, I don't think it's that irreverent. I, it's almost like that in my mind of what Jesus is saying. When one sinner repents, party is thrown in heaven. So many people will say that Christianity is dead, that it's a dying faith system, and um, that it's antiquated and it can't speak to the complexities of our modern world in the West because we've figured everything out, you know. And, um, but listen to this. Since 1910, the Christian faith has quadrupled in size growing from 600 million people to nearly 2.3 billion people. A lot of that growth has happened in the global south. Um, Christianity is just exploding in numbers all over the world. But when I say that number, 2.3 billion, what kind of things do you think? I read that stat this week, and I started to be like, well, how many of those are genuine conversions? Or... Or which stream of the faith are we talking about? All these things come up. And then I imagine Jesus saying, actually, that's a lot of, that's a lot of parties. It's almost, I mean, if you think about, I mean, I didn't do the math totally, but 1910 to you know, 2020, it's just like heaven's like, yes, yes. It's just like, it just, like, it just keeps going. You know what I mean? It's like, it, it doesn't end because it's happening all the time. All over the world, people are responding in faith, Jesus is the shepherd, and all over the world, he's finding lost, and he's bringing him back, and he's telling us to rejoice, because heaven is rejoicing. N.T. Wright is a New Testament scholar, and he said this about this passage. He says, if you discover what is going on in heaven, you will discover the way things were meant to be on earth. So Jesus, in his parables, I think this is what he's doing a lot of times. He's not just trying to like blow our minds and confuse us and people walk away and they're like, I don't know what just happened. I think what Jesus is trying to do, particularly in this parable, is he's like, I got to show you something. Come on over here. He says, I want to show you what's happening. When I, when, when I rescue someone, heaven erupts in praise. And so the, the parables are, are showing us reality. They're showing us a reality that's deeper than the cynicism that we feel in our lives. The parables are saying, this is what's really going on. This is what God's doing. Does it make your heart leap? This is how God loves people. Does that move you? This is what gets Jesus really excited. Does that get you really excited? And that question is, is left with us because Jesus is saying the kind of joy I'm talking about, it, it never ends and it goes on well into eternity. So yesterday morning, I'm writing this message. It's Saturday. I'm a procrastinator, so I'm writing the message. 
and I'm in, I'm preparing and I get a call. You know, I get a call that, that one of our church community members, John Carlock, has, has died suddenly in his home. And John's just an amazing man. Um, he lived 81 years, and I have, I, you know, I said this earlier, but I had so many sweet memories with him. We would, for like seven years, we would cut down our Christmas trees together each year. And so, like, I would cut two Christmas trees down each year. <laughs> so awesome. And uh, so great. And, you know, all these memories start flooding my mind. And, 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 just the, and then also just the tragedy of that and the sadness and the, and the mourning that I, I just began to feel. And, and, you know, we rejoice, but we also weep with those who weep. And I'm, like, writing this sermon about joy. <laughs> I'm like, what? Is that right? Is that appropriate to do that? This is all my process. You know, yesterday morning, I'm thinking about all these things. I'm thinking about how much I love John and thinking about our time today together and where does joy fit into this, into these real moments of, of sadness. And so in that moment, I promise you, this happened. God spoke to me. And it wasn't audible, and it wasn't on the wall. It was in his word. I'm, I'm, I'm getting this news. I'm getting it in real time. I'm not sure what to do. thinking a lot of things. And I read this word. There is joy in heaven. And it, and it just, like it just, it just sits on me, that truth. That there's a joy that's, that's, that's deep and it's eternal and it's a celebration and it's a party because all over the world, Jesus is saving the lost. And, and in a moment, even in the midst of the sadness, I'm like, John's in that party. He's like, they're just like, get, get in here. And he's in that celebration. And that's, that's my destiny, and that's your destiny. That's, that's the joy of Jesus. And he's like, I, you need to have this kind of joy, and I can give it to you, and I'm offering it to you. And it's, there's enough for you, okay? There's, there's, there isn't a shortage of joy in the life of Jesus. He's not running out. It just keeps overflowing. And that's what we see in this passage. And we see it dimly, but John sees it clearly. And what a beautiful thing that is. So as we close today, and we look to Jesus, we, we've seen three things. We've seen Jesus redefine joy. He said, I'm, I'm talking about a different kind of joy. Yes, it's emotional. Yes, there's Smiling and laughing and clapping and cheering. Yes, but it's, but it's the kind of joy that looks at what God is doing and says, yes, that, more of that. Glad for grace. And also Jesus tells us that it's communal joy. We share joy together. It's incomplete until we've shared it with each other. And that's what we do. And finally, that joy is eternal. The joy of Jesus is the greatest reality in the world. The deepest reality in the world. 
That's what's happening right now in our lives. And some of you may be asking as as we kind of land the plane today, you may be thinking, I've never had that kind of joy. Or maybe you're thinking, how do I get that? How do I get that back? Right? I think of the psalmist, restore to me the joy of my salvation. It's like, how do I get it back? Well, I'll, I'll leave you with a few things to think about. Three words I think would help as we prepare to worship. The first is this, ask. Ask for it. Is it possible that some of us have not because we ask not? And Jesus is saying, I, it, I have it. It's ready. So what would it look like in your life to ask, Lord, show me what you're doing. Give me that joy. Share it with me. Because he will. He's faithful. The second thing that I want to encourage you to do is look. Look for joy. Are you on the lookout for the grace of God in your life? I've always been amazed at, at Guy, our, our, our founding pastor, about his ability to tell stories. You know, if you've been around, you know, you know. And he always tells, it's not like he's a really good storyteller, much better than I am, but he also just has way better stories. <laughs> like, I'm like, why do all the cool things happen to you? Like, I, I got to tell stories of me and my kid in the kitchen. It's like, that's, that's my best story. You got it today. And it's, I remember when I first got here, I was like, every week there's like, what, that happened? That doesn't happen. And he's like, yeah, no, that happened. And I remember sitting in his office one day and I said, guy, like, how, how do you have all these stories and how do you become so good at telling them? And he said, I'm always looking. He said, I'm always, I'm always on the lookout. I believe fundamentally that God is on the move. And so, so I'm just looking for him. Got a notepad. I'm just looking for stories about what Jesus has done in people's life. Are you looking? You know, grace is one of those things. If you look for it, you will find it. You will see it. Because it's God's great joy to show it to us. So look for it. And the third thing is this. This is it. And I'll get off the stage. The third thing is this. Practice. Joy takes practice. We learn how to rejoice. That's actually what we're doing right now. So we're learning how to rejoice. And it can become the, a way of life for us. People will often tell me, you know, the shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty five, 35, is Jesus wept. And I'm like, well, it's actually tied with 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, which is rejoice always. So apparently the shortest verses are the most important. So that's for you. <laughs> I, uh, it takes work, doesn't it? And it's hard work. But all those things we talked like, because need, I need actually my community to do that. I can't rejoice all the time unless I'm around people who are committed to the same thing. And if I'm not looking to Jesus, I'm going to see a lot of things that are not going to lead me to rejoice. And so we look to Jesus and his joy. We live it out in our communities, and we begin to see that this joy is not temporary. It lasts forever. It's a joy that it, it transcends your Enneagram number. 
It transcends your Myers-Briggs, whatever. I'm a nine and an ISTJ. I'm like not the prototypical party guy at all. And yet, I can learn to be joyful. And I am learning to be joyful. And each week I come with these people that I love and we practice joy together. We practice rejoicing in community. And this morning we come to the table, which the table of communion, we've said this before, is for many, many years has been called the joy meal. And so we're going to rejoice right now. In fact, I'm going to invite our worship team up here. And, and you know, today when you come to the table, you know, the table is, is, is this reminder, this, um, this practice that we do that brings us back into the, 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 the part of the story of our salvation where Jesus dies for our sins. And then I can't help but think of, have you heard of this verse? For the joy set before him, Jesus, it's in Hebrews, endured the cross. Why? Why would he go to such great lengths? Joy. And it wasn't enough for him to have the joy for himself. He knew that I needed it. He knew that you needed it. And he knew that we needed to share in it. And so that's what we do today. So I invite you this morning to come to the table, take the elements, the cup, the bread, and take them back with you. This is not a reflective moment. If you see somebody you love, give them a hug. If you see somebody smiling, smile back at them. If you want to tell somebody, I've been thinking about you, I've been praying for you, all of that is appropriate. Why? Because we share in this joy together. And so in this time of worship, we'll have folks over here that can pray. If you want to receive prayer, we would love to join you in that. Um, But come and grab the elements and then take them on your own as we sing. Take them together. Let's share in the joy of our Savior. Can I pray for you? Jesus, thank you. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you that you've given us this great gift. And I pray that you'd help us to walk in your joy. Help us to receive it. Help us to celebrate it all over this room, together, in this moment, and also as we go. We say thanks. Every week we come and we say thanks. Reorients our lives. It sets us on your way. So give us your joy today. In your name we pray. Amen.